Welcome to Corestruction, a show about the missions, activities, and employees of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Today, we're at the Navigation Office, where I'm interviewing Chris Abner of the Major Maintenance Unit here. Chris is a retired Marine, and he recently completed the 140-mile Tulsa Ironman competition. That includes swimming, biking, and a 26.2-mile marathon, which Chris ran with an American flag. That American flag also had a streamer attached to it with the name of one of his former squad mates, Lance Corporal Jeremy Burris. At the conclusion of the race, Chris presented the flag and streamer to the family of Lance Corporal Burris, who was killed in Iraq in 2007. Chris, welcome to Corestruction. Thank you for having me. Sunday, I was out there, and I saw you out there running with a flag, and you were, you guys got a later start, or it, it got mess, mixed up because of the uh, the water levels and the the lapping on the water with the uh, the wind. Um, can you can you tell us about that experience of of the swim part? Because that's how you start, right? Yes, sir. Um, so the the swim was supposed to be a one loop in and out swim. And due to the weather conditions, that morning they switch it to a two-loop. So you enter the water, you swim one loop, get out, and do the other one. And they had swimmed it, and the swim ended up being a little little bit longer than the 2.4 miles due to some of the buoys floating away. Have you ever run a marathon at all or competed in an Ironman in, in the past? Never, never a marathon. I've completed a half Ironman in uh, San Diego, California, but never a, a full distance Ironman or a marathon for that much. And you, you told me earlier you were from San, San Diego, California. That's where you grew up and um, you joined the Marine Corps. Did you join right out of high school or? Yes, sir. Joined uh, right out of high school. Went to boot camp at Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego, so about uh, 10 minutes away from home, and got stationed in uh, Camp Pendleton, California, which was about an hour away from home. When you were in basic and you saw those planes flying overhead, did you ever wish you were on them? No, not really. I, I'd, I'd seen the, uh, the, the buildings my entire life, and I wanted to see if it was really that hard. You finished basic training, and, and then you, you were at Pendleton, I guess, some more for um, – for infantry training, yes, School of Infantry, and then um, got to your first unit. And um, tell us about how you met Lance Corporal Burris. So, um, the my I went to my first unit was First Battalion, Fourth Marines. Did uh, four deployments with them, and Lance Corporal Burris was on my fourth deployment. He was my driver. I was a sergeant, and he was a young young kid from liberty texas um, all around great great american great marine and he just wanted to serve his country and that's how we first met and we went on a deployment to al-qaim iraq where we were about seven months into our deployment when uh, we struck a roadside bomb how uh, how long are those deployments typically for uh, infantry units in in Iraq, especially in the Marine Corps? Um, my they they can range anywhere from six months to nine months. My my first two deployments to uh, during the invasion was a nine month deployment. My second uh, from Fallujah to Jaw for another nine months, and then this one happened to be I want to say seven or eight months. 
And you, you were a, you were a, um, uh, you were a vehicle commander, right? Yes, and, sir. Uh, by your, your, your military occupational specialty was with O three thirty one. So you were a machine gunner originally, and then as you moved up the ranks, you became a. A vehicle commander. So he was in. Were you in the same vehicle with with Burris when yes. this happened? Yes. He, he he was my he was my driver the entire deployment. Um, we had done the entire training cycle um, for him to be my driver. He was he was an infantryman, and he had just kind of got thrown in that role as um, you're going to be the driver, buddy. So what what was Burris like? So Burris came from a. Uh, uh, a very Christian family family in Liberty, Texas. He was one of seven kids, or seven uh, brothers and sisters. Um, he wanted to be a minister, but he knew that um, if he became a minister at the age of 18, he wasn't going to have too many life experiences. So he thought that or what he wanted to do was serve his country, get those experiences under his belt, and then get out of the Marine Corps and become a... Uh, a minister that's that's so his family was at the finish line when you finished about what time what time was it when you finished so I want to say I finished at a uh, 1217 his family had gotten there the uh, the day before and they were there before the swim kicked off they were there for the national anthem um, Mike Riley he's the, the one who says calls you across the finish line you are an Iron Man and he announced the Burris family and gave a little background on Jeremy. And then when I got off the bike, the Burris family handed me the American flag to, to start running the entire marathon. And then I presented them the flag once I actually crossed the finish line at 1217 that night. 17 hours and I don't know how many minutes later. Now, I mean, just running a marathon in and of itself is a big deal. That's that takes a lot of. Um, it, I mean, it takes training. It, it's doable, but it takes training. But to run it with a flag. Now, did you carry the flag the whole way? Yes, I did. Uh, all twenty six point two miles. And you felt, I bet, every twenty every mile. Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, I really started to feel it in the back and the uh, the forearms. the The weather was great when the the flag was first presented to me and my first mile was a nine minute mile and I looked at my watch and I was like, I need to slow down a little, little too quick. I'm not going to be able to hold this pace. And, uh, as soon as that sun went down, that wind kicked up and that's when I really start to feel, felt, feel the, uh, the pain of the, the flag and the, in my shoulders and back. How do you prepare for something like that? I did a lot of, uh, running to begin the cycle, the training cycle. And then towards the end of it, I started doing, a, I ran a half marathon here in, here in Salisaw with a American flag because um, I knew that it was going to be completely different. So I just, my, my first run with the American flag, I actually picked a, uh, a heavier duty American flag that had the, the stitches embroidered or the stars embroidered into it. And uh, it was about 15, 20 mile an hour wind that day. So it was some good training. So is the is it? Would you say it was the it's the flag that's the heavier part, or that's the the guide on you're carrying it with? Uh, so I'd ordered a a special runner's guide on, as you want to call it, that um, stick to hold the flag on, 
but there was definitely some times during the run when the wind would kick up and it would bend that the the pole a little bit. So uh, you get you get to the finish line, and then you presented the flag to the family. Yes, sir. So I I crossed the finish line. I, I heard you know Mike Riley's voice coming out there, and he's calling people an Iron Man. So I kind of picked up the pace a little bit. And I remember crossing the finish line, and and honestly, I don't even remember. My wife told me she she said you apologized to the Burrises. I said I apologized to him for what? She said you said that you were sorry for taking so long, and uh, the Burrises kind of just laughed about it and said, "No, we had the easy job. We understand." Had you talked to them really before this uh, before this event? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I'd met the Burrises uh, in 2012, and I'd also met them as soon as we came back from that deployment. They were actually there um, on the parade deck when we when we arrived home, and they went out to dinner with us. And I talked to them a little bit here and there, but I actually didn't talk to Brent Burris until about six months into my training because I knew as soon as I asked him if he'd be willing to come up, um, I had no choice to complete the to complete it. So I wanted to make sure my, my body would hold up and that I could do it. What goes through your mind when you're when you're when you're doing an Ironman? I'm sure different thoughts at different points, but but can you can you sort of take us through like maybe from the swimming and then you know, a lot of funny, weird things come up. I mean anything to keep your mind occupied, uh, the swim was definitely the the hardest part of uh for me for the iron man just with the uh, the conditions the water temperature and that one uh mainly i was just thinking my form i can do this um i was thinking you know i work for the army corps of engineers and they couldn't warm up the water for me or calm the water down or stop spilling for a minute so you get no special treatment. I, I know, so I was kind of angry uh, about that for a while during the swim. So that I killed about ten minutes of it, um, and, and then uh, I, I remember swimming. At one point, I smelt uh, I smelt gasoline. It, it was funny, and I don't know if it was from a boat or if it was from a uh, a camper had started a fire with gasoline, but uh, I, I just noticed that all my senses were were really in tune because I, I couldn't see nothing. Um, so that was really interesting for me. And then I, I got out of the uh, the swim and I hopped on the bike and I, I noticed my heart rate was way elevated. And I just started thinking, uh, you know, about Jeremy at certain points, uh, other Marines that I'd served with, different uh, points during different deployments where funny things had happened or or even uh, sad things because I mean that bike was seven hours and forty minutes. Yeah. Um, at one point, um, I, I remember my daughter loved the movie Frozen, so I started thinking about the movie Frozen. Um, and you were singing "Let It Go." Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> I, I was absolutely singing "Let It Go" because I just wanted to get off that bike, and uh, you know, going out there and just being able to see the. The volunteers and talking to the volunteers a little bit kind of killed some time, um, but and then when the run happened, you know, as soon as they handed me the flag, I was running through downtown Tulsa, 
and I just uh, I remembered the the weight of the flag of when I say weight, uh, the, the enormous responsibility I have here because there are so many police officers lining the streets and they were, some of them were coming to the position of attention and, and saluting the flag. And I, I ran that nine minute mile all the way up until there was no more police officers just about. And every athlete, every person that I came across was thanking me for running with the flag. So during the run, I. I really didn't have time to think about anything because there was so many people lining that run route and just saying thank you for your service, which which meant a lot to me. And I think when I got done with it, I tried to convey that to the bursts of how much it does mean, you know, that, that American flag does mean to a lot of people still. You grew up in San Diego. You were retired from the Marine Corps in 2000 and what? Four, 16. 16, okay. And then you, you eventually came, came here to, uh, did you come straight here to Oklahoma? I did, yes. So tell us, tell us why, why, uh, why Salisaw, Oklahoma? Salisaw, Oklahoma. So my, my parents are originally from uh, this neck of the woods. Um, I, I wanted my, my children to grow up in a, in a less populated area where they, they could go out and they could, they could fish. We could go to the lake. And I just felt as if, you know, coming out here, the, the teachers have a hard enough job as it is. And, you know, in California, I think my son's kindergarten class was, you know, 30 to 1, you know, 30 students, one teacher. Out here, it's, you know, 10 to 1. Mm -hmm. So, and every teacher cares about their kids. And it just felt that I could give them a better life out here in, uh, in South South America. So, you, did you swim when you were in San Diego? Were you a swimmer out there, or I was a surfer. I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was a swimmer. My my first triathlon I ever did was a quarter mile swim, and I thought I was going to die during that swim too. But uh, I thought I could swim, and then I got a coach, and he taught me the the right way to swim. I was really lucky towards the end of my Marine Corps career to be at. Wounded Warrior Battalion, mm -hmm. which had awesome physical therapists, awesome coaches. So I, I was able to really hone in on, on certain techniques, vices, just going out there, flailing in the water. What is the Wounded Warrior Battalion in the Marine Corps? And what, what, how does that work? So, yeah, so the Wounded Warrior Battalion, um, I got, so obviously I was injured in 2007. Um, I was getting ready to deploy in 2010 when my, my middle child was diagnosed with a terminal disease. So I became um, undeployable at that point. So they sent me to Wounded Warrior Battalion, which takes care of wounded, ill, and injured, which a lot of people don't know about is the wounded, ill, and injured. Wounded obviously being combat, mm -hmm. you know, injuries of, uh, sustained in combat, whether that be uh, a physical injury, loss of a limb, or uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury. Um, ill could be, you know, cancer, and injured could be from a car accident. So <clears throat> once uh, I was there, I was responsible for, you know, making sure these Marines were still held accountable to a standard of the Marine Corps, but also ensuring that they they got the rehab and the, and the rehabilitation that they needed, whether that be from the civilian standpoint or the Marine Corps standpoint. And then once uh, 
once my daughter passed away in 2014, I had an awesome CO. Um, he's still into this day, Major Luke McConnell at the time. But, uh, you know, he took care of me, saw that I had some, some serious things going on, and, you know, he got me the help I needed, and that's how I eventually started on uh, the triathlon side. But they had this facility there called the, uh, the Hope and Care Center, which had a indoor pool, a underwater treadmill. Um, they had a bunch of state-of-the-art equipment. So all the injuries that I had sustained over my uh, career, I was able to rehab them, had a knee surgery there, and I got the, the actual coaching from, you know, Olympic level staff uh, as far as cycling goes as far as swimming goes you know teaching you the right way of well you've been running this way the for the past 14 years now let's teach you how to run the right way so you don't sustain or sustain any more injuries so it was an awesome facility still there to this day I actually uh I went back to California in uh, December and I went there and uh, I went on a uh, uh, a 40-mile ride with my old cycling coach. Um, it, it's just an, it was an awesome facility, ran by awesome Marines. And, uh, I mean, it, it was it was such an important part in my life. When when my daughter did pass away, we actually had her service there at the, the Hope and Care Center, um, you know, her celebration of life. So it, it always holds a, a special part in, in my heart. So... You actually, you actually um, finished with that Wounded Warrior Battalion. You were probably in better shape than you were before you got injured. Would yes. you say that? Oh, a absolutely, one hundred and ten percent. You know, not just physically, but but mentally. Uh, I mean, that was the huge part about it. Of of obviously, you know, going on so many deployments, losing buddies, losing, you know, a Marine, and then losing my child. Um, having um the the civilian staff there that actually cared and and still having you know your marine corps brothers and sisters next to you it, it's a huge deal were you into now you you had mentioned that you had done some triathlons mm -hmm. previously but were you doing triathlons before you were involved with the wounded warrior okay so so it actually it actually opened up this whole new thing for you uh, absolutely so the way the triathlon came about i was actually in a, a treatment and uh it was this navy commander who i think he'd done a, an iron man before and he, we were doing some cycling and whatnot a little uh mountain biking and he said that there was a, a sprint triathlon not too far it was a quarter mile swim a 12 mile bike ride and a three mile run well i just torn my acl and uh, I said, I can do that. It can't be that hard. And uh, so I signed up for it. Uh, my wife had some choice words saying that I wasn't the smartest person in the world. <laughs> and uh, I went out there and did it. And I remember swimming it and doggy paddling the swim in the open ocean and the kayaks coming up to me saying, hey, are you are you okay? And I pushed them off and, yeah, I'm fine. And I finished it. I didn't, I didn't set no land speed records, same way with the Ironman, but... At the, uh, the end of the day, it's, it's a race with yourself, not no one else. I was, I was tracking you on the app, on the Ironman app, because, you, you know, we, we spoke before you ran it, and um, 
I say ran it, but before you <laughs> competed in it, because there's so much more than just the running. But um, I was tracking you, and at one point, I was waiting for you at um, 61st Street, where the Eagle is mm-hmm. on Peoria, on Riverside, I mean, well, at the, at the River Parks. And I looked down at the app, and you're beyond me on the app. Like, somehow I didn't see you. So I start going back the other way. I get down some, I get down some. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I look up. And it was like the app was, like, throwing everything off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look up, and I see this flag. <laughs> and that's when I started running up to try to catch yeah. you um, <laughs> with, all that, with all that gear. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I really wanted to get that shot with the eagle and the flag. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, once you, you went on a little further – and I'll try to I'll try to pull up the video from this a little later. But you went on down to the turnaround point because I knew that was coming up soon. Mm-hmm. And um, and then on the way back, and you were like, "Oh, you're going to finish this with me?" And I'm like, "No, no, no." <laughs> but but it was so impressive to see you were you were making. I mean, you were making good time, and I was following your your, your bike part too. And mm-hmm. I noticed like there was one point where you dropped down to like 10 miles an hour average. Mm-hmm. What was going on at that? Was that the hills? That, that was the hill. So it seemed like with uh, Tulsa, you were either uh, climbing a hill, doing, you know, 8, 10 miles an hour, or you're, you know, going down a hill doing 40 miles an hour. And at that point, it's just who's going to hit the brakes first? How fast do you want to get off this bike? How fast do you, you just want it to be over with? And so I, I could probably count on one hand uh, how many times I hit m- my brakes on that course. It was just go, 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 go. But right before the, the bike course, I rented some uh, carbon rims. Cause my biggest, um, they're tubeless. My biggest fear was having a flat and taking, you know, five, ten minutes. So I rented these carbon rims, which, you know, they rode better. They were all around better rims. And I didn't end up getting a flat, so I didn't have to worry about that. And it was just an overall great experience. Does a flat end it? For you? No, it, it doesn't end it, but it definitely just adds time. Um, you know, riding in, in anywhere out here in eastern Oklahoma on some of these roads, you're, you're going to get flats. And so I don't know how much money I spent on, on tubes. My wife could probably tell you because she was tired of seeing the bills for them. But I got really good at changing them. And so I, it, it wouldn't have ended the race, but it definitely would have added, you know, five or six minutes here. Well, you can you can change a tube in five or six minutes. Yeah, I think the fastest I got down to was seven minutes of, of changing the tube and you know putting it all back together and getting back on the road. So you're like your own pit crew out there. That's it. I mean, you're 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 self-sustained. You know, they they do have a a truck that goes around and gives you some sort of service, but there's only a few of those trucks on a 112 mile bike ride. So if you can't fix it, you you might be done for that day. And that was a huge fear of mine of having a family come up from Texas, you know, having all this hype going on with all the media and, and all this stuff and not being able to even get to the run portion because of a bike malfunction. I, it would have been tough to deal with. Now, and, and, and you, you have to keep on a certain pace too, right? Because if you don't, if you don't make a certain pace, you, they'll, they'll tag you and you're out, right? Yes. So, Normally, for the uh, the swim, it's two hours and 20 minutes. I finished at 2.25. Well, since that buoy had floated away, they had to extend everybody's time by, I think, 
30 or 40 minutes, whatever it was. And then overall, you have to finish uh, at 16 hours and 59 minutes. I finished at 17, 15 or something. So within that limit that they had extended it to, because we had to swim that extra quarter mile, whatever it was. Um, but hey, it was just a little bit of extra, a little bit of extra longer day. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you finished it though. Like yeah. that's the big thing. I mean, that that's, I'm. Mean, that's what's so amazing because I was I was nervous when when I was looking at Mm because I didn't know about the extended thing initially and I was like oh my gosh I hope this guy's not in over his head I had no idea that you had because we hadn't really talked much Mm -hmm. you know I mean we there was that email back and forth and I was I was like oh my god I hope this guy hasn't gotten in over his head and and you did it man you were and and I didn't know you you were well trained and and prepared and this was this wasn't i mean it was your first ironman correct yes but it wasn't your first rodeo on a triathlon no it it wasn't my first rodeo on a triathlon and and like i said i didn't set no land speed records you know i didn't place first or second in my age group or anywhere near it but i can tell you i placed first in the guy running with the american flag (laughs) because i was the only one out there um yeah every every once in a while you'll see like a marathon where somebody's um you know, you'll, you'll, somebody's running with the flag mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or running with a pace sign if they're, if they're part of a running group, mm-hmm. you know, but, but yeah, you were the only one I saw out there with an American flag. Yeah, that's that... certainly for sure. And, um, it, when you presented that, do you, were you thinking about that when you presented that flag to that family, to the Burris family? You know, I didn't know how I'd feel. Um, I didn't know if I'd end up crying or or, or how I'd, what exactly would end up happening. Um, and when I crossed that finish line and I saw them there and they'd been waiting for 17 plus hours just to be able to hand them that flag. And, you know, that, that flag is an interest, interesting story behind it. We tried to get in contact with many people who had served with uh, Lance Cole during verse and have them sign it and put a message on that American flag. So when we handed it to them, it wasn't just me running with that flag that day. It was, you know, Lance Cole Lee Mendez. It was Sergeant Rebicki. It was all these different guys that actually served with them. And so they can look at it and say, hey, they were with us that day. They might not have been able to physically be at that event, but they all thought about it. They all had some part in getting there. And when I crossed that finish line, it was a, like I said, I, I apologize for the verses for taking so long. I wish I could have done it in nine hours, but um, that wasn't going to happen. On that deployment, how many Marines did you all lose? We only lost uh, Jeremy on that deployment. Um, we hit a substantial amount of uh IEDs, um, you know, we had a few uh, amputees, but we had only lost uh, him. Like I said, we had a month to go, but it was just a, it, it was a very, the conditions that were there during that deployment, it was called moon dust, so it was just very fine sand where it was easy to hide anything in the sand. You You literally... You stepped in it and you sunk up to your your calves, um, so they're very hard to spot. Yeah, you showed me a picture of that. Uh, that was a. You said it was a 
what kind of truck was it? Again? A seven ton. Seven ton truck, and and the turret on that thing is even kind of. Now was the the gunner on the turret when that happened, or was he down? No, he was he was standing up, and what happened was we had, we were at a local village, and we went into a a choke point. It was a wadi where we we couldn't go left or right, and when we went into it. Explosive ordnance disposal said it was about 400 pounds of homemade explosive, and we hit it, and the seven-ton more or less did a wheelie, and I got ejected from the vehicle along with uh, Lee Mendez, and Jeremy was he was fine during the initial explosion. You were what? What injuries did? Because I saw that you, you showed me those photos as well, and you uh, your face is pretty cut up it looks like you have to have had to have some stitches and yeah so i took uh 30 stitches to the left side of the nose and it, the actual the shrapnel went inside of my cheek so all the way punctured my into my mouth and then uh, i landed on my rear end so that compressed my bunch of discs in my back but overall i was i was extremely lucky just to 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 still be here um I was wearing Oakleys that day, and I still have the Oakleys to this day. They're, they're still covered in uh, blood and mud, but uh, the Oakleys definitely saved saved my eyesight. Really? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't, if I wanted to wash them, I, I, I could probably wear them to work, and they'd be completely fine. But uh, I just kind of keep them up on the shelf and say, hey, I'll stick with my Oakleys. Those are ballistic-grade Oakleys yes. that they was issued to you? No. I, just you bought them as— I had bought them right before that deployment, and they had given us, you know, some some other uh, PPE mm-hmm. for glasses, and you know they they just didn't look that cool, honestly. Right. Yeah. It, you know, yeah. I, I mean, you got to have the you got to look cool when you're wearing all that gear. So, um, <laughs> I went and I bought the Oakleys, and it was probably the best 150 bucks I'd ever spent. What What do you think? What do you think Jeremy would would say? You know, if he if he knew you were running with that flag to give that flag to his family, what, how do you think he would have? Yeah, I, I that's a tough question. I'd hope he'd be proud of every single one of us. Um, every single one of the guys, I know we've all had uh, our trials and tribulations throughout throughout our lives. You know, him being killed. But his life and how he led it has some way affected our lives and how we still live to this day. So I think he would he would be proud. And his parents were were so uh, happy that it's been this long and their child still makes a difference. And and he's not here. So I think it's it, it was ultimately just the biggest honor that that I could have had. It's awesome. And after was that that wasn't your last deployment though was it right? It was my last. Oh, it was your last. Okay, so all right, so that was your last deployment. Yes, sir. And you were gonna deploy again though in in ten. Is what you said. Yes, I was gonna deploy in two thousand ten when my daughter got diagnosed. Yeah. So you even in spite of being injured, you were gonna go all the way back. Yeah. You you must have planned to make it a career full full yeah I mean twenty plus career. I did almost uh, over fourteen. And before they medically retired me, and uh, I had no plan to leave them, but sometimes uh, 
you know, everything happens for a reason at the end of the day, I guess. Infantry guys, you all tend to be a pretty tight group. Like you, you, you know, when you're on ship, you go places together. You know everything about that guy in the in the birthing area with mm-hmm. you. You know who's in, who's maybe got the bunk above you. Or do, how close are you to those to, to those guys? Do you still keep in touch to those uh, infantry dudes that you worked with? You know, I I'd kind of. We kind of went our separate ways throughout life, and then this event happened. Of, I'd still talk to the, my gunner, and it, it is, it's crazy by this one act and this one event of how big it's gotten, as far as the the American flag and the media, of how close it's brought a lot of us back together, and and, and realizing like, hey, we we made, we made a difference. He made a difference. Um, and we're all still here and, and you know what we might have our families over here but this one event as short as it was that happened in seconds has changed our lives forever and somehow um, contributed directly how we live to this day so to answer your question we weren't that close before the event but now we've gotten a lot closer and how did you get how did you make the decision to do to do this, uh, to to do the the Iron Man Foundation thing? Did you reach out to the Iron Man Foundation, or did they reach? Out? How did that happen? No, so I, I had a friend who um, worked for an organization called Hunter's Hope, who uh, dealt with my daughter's disease, and then she left that organization, went to work for the Iron Man Foundation. A lot of people don't know that you know Iron Man. Race and Iron Man Foundation are two different things. The Iron Man Foundation is a five hundred one c three and donate a lot of all the money. So she asked me after twenty twenty one Tulsa, would you like to run an Iron Man? And I said, well, it's on my bucket list. I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know yet. And then she said, well, we have this race series called the Gold Star Initiative, where you have a gold star family a child who's a family has lost their child in combat and you run with the american flag for the marathon and once she said that i had no choice i I mean that that is the the i think the biggest honor in the world to you're paying your respects to to somebody who gave up their life for this country I, i I don't. I don't see how anybody could ever question that. And did you just say? I said yes. Jeremy Burris. I, I did. I said, for, I'll do it for Jeremy Burris. Yep. I, I said, I, I have a Marine that you know that I lost, and she knew that I'd lost you know a Marine. I said, can I pick it? And she said yes. And so, like I said, uh, I went six months from that day of just training without even contacting Mr. Burris and asking if he'd be willing to come up from Texas to do it. And once I did, he. He was all about it. He said, absolutely. He, he didn't even have to think about it. He said, we'll be there. And that's like a, you said, I think about a seven-hour drive or something? Yes, seven hours. Tulsa? Mm-hmm. It's Kristoff, right? No, it's, it's... It's Christopher? It's Christopher, but for okay. some reason, uh, DOD always drops the R. It says like 11 letters, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know, but it's... Uh, 
Even on my VA identification, it says Kristoff. Oh, really? Even on my cat card for the Marine Corps, it said Kristoff. So your daughter's frozen thing, she, you, you ever show her that? No, I didn't. I never <laughs> thought about that, but hey. Mm-hmm. 2020, you came to work mm-hmm. with the Corps. Um, how are you liking it? So you work on the navigation system, and you handle maintenance on yeah. a lot of this, this stuff. So what, what all kind of work are you doing? So originally when I got hired on, I was a, a lock operator. Love the lock operator uh, gig. It was, you know, you saw a lot of different things. Um, and then recently, I, I just enjoy more of the maintenance side. Which uh, lock were you at? I was at 17 and 16, and then I also did, uh, you know, some work down at 14. So, okay. um, and, and it was great. You really learned how the navigation system works. You really, really learned how all the equipment works. And a spot came open at uh, the major maintenance unit. And I really enjoy the being out in the sun, seeing a uh, a product at the end of the day, per se, and you know just going up and down the river and actually working it. And, and I ain't gonna lie, the hours are a whole lot better on the the fleet side of things than being an operator. Yeah, that operator works pretty cool. Was that the when you started to become an operator? Was that the first time you'd seen? Uh, ship uh, boats locked through or tugs yeah, locked, I, I mean, locked through? Yeah, obviously living in Southside, you know, you'll see the barges come up and down mm-hmm. the river and, you know, you, you don't know anything about them. And then, you know, when you come, become a lock operator, you really see, wow, there's a lot that actually goes on to this and, and the the technology is awesome. Yeah, uh, I mean, in the, the navigation system is one of those things that a lot of people in this area don't even realize you know even when they see the toes they see the barges they don't even realize like the the significance of that that system that you guys maintain you know it's a huge deal and and a lot of people that like you said that don't realize what we do and they come down and they actually see it or you're able to give somebody a tour they don't they don't realize that one of those barges you know 1400 tons you know that's a lot of commodity going up and down the river um so it's a huge deal well, Christopher, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to sit down with me and, and answer questions. Was there anything that, what 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 have I not asked you that you maybe wished or thought that I, I was going to ask you or should have asked you? Uh, I don't know. I felt like, uh, you know, you've asked me just about everything. But uh, I, I just want to say it's been a great honor, you know, and I, and I think that the the publicity that not only the Corps give but everybody's given just for this family no matter what you know what happens whatever happens the their son their daughter whoever it was um made a huge impact on multiple lives um just through this one event so i think uh thank you for doing that and thank you the army corps of engineers for allowing me to do it thank you for joining us for core construction core construction is a production of the tulsa district u.s army corps of engineers public affairs office Today's episode of Construction was brought to you by the Navigation Office of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.